How can Christians end abortion and save lives, not just politically, but much more importantly, spiritually? We are going to be talking to Roland Warren today in an incredible conversation. Truly, every minute is better than the last. You're going to listen to this interview and be so encouraged. You're going to be so fired up to go out and do something. And you're going to be reminded that God is working in mighty, incredible ways through his church. Roland is the former president of the National Fatherhood Initiative, and he became the president and CEO of CareNet, which is a large network of pregnancy centers in the United States back in 2012. He has written books about fatherhood and about single motherhood, just an incredible advocate for life and bringer of the gospel, which you will hear today. This is a great pre-Christmas episode. It will remind you of the hope that we have in Christ and why we are celebrating his advent today. It all happened because of a God-ordained unplanned pregnancy. Um, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. As always, go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. All right, without further ado, here is our friend, Roland Warren. Roland, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for those who may not know, can you tell everyone who you are and what you do? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you. My name is Roland Warren. I'm president and CEO of CareNet. Okay. And tell us a little bit about CareNet. A lot of people listening yeah. know exactly what it is, but for those who are unfamiliar. Yep. Yeah. Well, CareNet's a ministry started actually in 1975 by uh, C. Everett Coop, Francis Schaefer, Francis Schaefer and Harold O.J. Brown, and really was focused initially on sort of an advocacy approach to the life issue. So uh, today we're a network of over 1,200 pregnancy centers uh, across the country, and our goal really is to offer compassion, hope, help uh, to women and men faced with pregnancy decisions. So uh, obviously in a post-rural environment, the work that we do is is critically important and uh, and certainly uh, uh, much needed, and obviously in the news quite a bit. So it's been yeah. kind of an interesting interesting uh, Mr. Toe ride since uh, Roe was overturned for sure. Yeah, and I had the privilege of speaking at the CareNet conference this summer. That's where you and I got to meet for the first time. And yeah. one of the things I was told before the conference was just, just that the attendees really needed encouragement. Of course, we always need encouragement, but just with the vitriol um, after the Dobbs decision was released, these attendees needed to be kind of reinvigorated and reminded of the importance of what we do. Can you talk about what you found in talking to pregnancy center staff and directors um, after the Dobbs decision? Is there fear? Is there discouragement? What does that look like? Well, one of the things for sure, I mean, the, the Dobbs decision and, and certainly the leak before the decision really uh, generated a fair amount of, of violence and, and vitriol against pregnancy centers and pro-life people in general and, and religious people in a lot of ways. I, I think one of the things certainly that uh, the decision around Roe really exposed uh, is is how committed our culture is uh, to abortion uh, as a perspective. But candidly, I think probably one of the more disappointing aspects is how many Christians, actually, those who profess to be Christians, consider themselves uh, pro-choice. So we had a lot of folks on our staff, myself personally, who had like very folks who were very close to them, who um, you know, profess to be Christians, 
were very upset about the the Roe Roe decision and uh, really took it out on social media and personal uh, gatherings and things of that nature. And so that was one of the reasons why I really want to encourage you when you were coming to speak to uh, our our audience that one of the things that they really need to hear is the need to press on and to be encouraged. I mean, you know, if somebody's very close to you, uh, obviously that kind of wound, uh, one hurts the most. I always tell folks, look, you know, Judas kissed Jesus before he betrayed him. So that that Mm. means something special when it's someone who's very close to you who rejects you in, in a way that, uh, obviously that Christ was rejected and certainly folks who've been doing this work have been feeling a lot of rejection as a result of their stand around this. Yeah, I think it's really easy for Christians to use um, either their friends or the world as kind of a gauge for how they're yes. doing, how loving they're being, how righteous they're being. But really, that's not a good gauge. The word of God is, the life of Christ is. And so you make yep. a really good point. But how do Christians engage with these friends and family members who are showing so much hostility to them because of this decision or the abortion issue in general. Yeah, you know, one of the things that God downloaded into my brain as as before the decision came out, but certainly really confirmed it once the decision did come out, is that, you know, I, I don't spend time with with Christians often trying to talk to them about, um, you know, when life begins or those kinds of things. Those are important apologetic arguments. But I think when you're talking to someone who's a Christian who professes to be pro-choice, I think the thing that you need to talk to them about is the two great initiatives that all Christians are encouraged to kind of live out in our in our daily lives and promote in the public square. And that's really the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment and the great commission. Every decision that we make in life should correspond to that. So that should be the lens that we look at an issue through, the great command and the great commission. So when you look at the great command, I mean, it's in, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus talks about that, in particular in Luke, where he's asked that question, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God, which every Christian should be concerned about? And he says, basically, essentially, that these, these all the scripture is distilled down in loving God in your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and then, then love your neighbor as yourself. And so one of the things I tell folks to tell other Christians is explain to me how a pro-choice decision supports loving of God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Particularly when you look at the fact that the word that's used for love in that verse is agape, which is a sacrificial love that we're asked to love our neighbors with, which is the same love that's used in John 3.16, where God so loved the world. It's agapeo in Greek, that word. And then the other thing is, when you look at the word neighbor in in the Greek, it actually means near one, like a near fellow, right? So the neighbor of a woman who is facing a pregnancy decision, carrying a child, her nearest neighbor is the child growing inside of her. The nearest neighbor for the guy who got her pregnant is the child growing inside of her. So my view is that as a Christian, you should be able to look at the great commandment and say, aha, this decision that I'm making actually supports the great command. And, and I think when you when you look at the life issue through that lens, you can see that a pro-choice perspective doesn't really support the great command, because when you're aborting God's image bearer and when you're aborting your neighbor who you're supposed to be loving like yourself, uh, it certainly doesn't support you know what Christ said was one of, one of the first of the of the great commandments that we have. What do you say to those who say, OK, I got it, Roland. That's what I believe. I am personally pro-life because of that. But who am I to try to push that on other people? I'm politically pro-choice, but I'm personally pro-life. Is that possible? 
Well, I don't I don't think it is. I think that when you kind of kind of split the hair that way, it, it makes things very difficult. I mean, as a black man, for example, I mean, you just put some other atrocity in there. Like, I don't personally hold slaves, but I don't think that I should have the ability to tell others to hold slaves. I mean, those who were professed to be pro-choice, particularly if they're kind of progressive folks in terms of their thinking around this, would say that's abhorrent. I would never have that perspective that I would allow an injustice for someone else just because I'm not doing the injustice. Like Dr. King reminded us, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So I think that kind of perspective is, is really one that you don't want to have because it really doesn't certainly doesn't lead to a God honoring uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. And certainly what you find when you have that kind of perspective and hold that worldview, the vulnerable are always the ones who are sacrificed for the powerful. So whether it's slavery or whether it's human trafficking or what the other the uh, other issue you are talking about, if you have the perspective that says, hey, I would never use child labor to make my, <laughs> you know, to, to, in my business, but I'm perfectly fine with other right. people doing that for things that I buy. I think that when you start to reconcile those things and look at the life issue through that lens, I think you can see that people have a big issue with those kind that perspective. But you might hear we have so many problems. Uh, we're not doing enough to help women. And so until then, I still need to allow women legally to have these abortions because of poverty, because our welfare system is broken, because the foster care system is so corrupt, because that child might not be wanted, they might be yeah. abused, they might go through really hard things. And so until all of those things are fixed, how is it the most loving thing to do to be against abortion? Yeah, I mean, again, you, you run into the exact same problem that if you use that logic in other areas that you're not going to step into another area where there's an injustice until all injustices are fixed, then you can see how many people are going to be harmed through that perspective. Now, I say that acknowledging that there really does need to be more done there. I think one of the real uh, challenges that I've sort of laid out for 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 pro-choice Christians uh, is to really think about this issue, excuse me, pro-life Christians, rather, is to think about this issue not from a pro-life perspective, but from a pro-abundance life perspective based on John 10, 10, where Christ said, I came that you might have life and have that life abundantly. And when you, when you unpack what he's talking about there, he's actually talking about not just physical life, but he's also talking about spiritual life. So really what we should be doing is building an environment where folks have the spiritual life and the physical life that God would want for them. And a key driver to that is God's design for family. And, and I use that quite a bit to talk to folks and saying that if you really want to solve the life issue, one of the very first things that we have to do is to focus on not just the sanctity of life, but the sanctity of marriage and family as God designed. So that's how you start to get upstream so that kids are not at risk for abortion to begin with. And, and the other piece is obviously God's call to discipleship, which is at the, at the end of that, which, which means that we're trying to help those folks who are making the life decisions be connected to the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ coming alongside them in that way. So to me, it's it's not, you know, it's not a, a, an adequate answer to say, well, there's a lot of injustice in, in this area, so we're going to allow the sacrifice to continue the injustice until we can solve the injustice that we're not comfortable with. To me, that just facilitates injustice. I think the broader right. thing, certainly as a Christian, is that we have to look at this issue and say, what are we doing to help build strong families and encouraging the culture to do that by supporting God's design for family? And then mm -hmm. what are we doing to collect the life issue to the church so we th look at the life issue not through the lens solely of politics or material support, but through the lens of discipleship, that the goal for us is to help folks who are facing pregnancy decisions become disciples for Jesus Christ. And that's a call that every Christian has. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will say, okay, fine, but the church isn't doing anything. They're just pro-birth and they just want women to force to be forced to have these children and then they don't offer any help. But that's not true, is it? What, what are Christians already doing to help well, these families I mean, who are in crisis? Yeah, I mean, again, that's sort of a red herring argument. Christians adopt more kids, do more work toward to help the needy in every single category. Every study that's looked at giving finds that Christians are right at the top top of the list uh, related to that. But I do think that there is an important change that must needs to happen in the body of Christ. And that really is to view the life issue through the lens of discipleship. And, and what I mean by that is, see, Every good work that a Christian does should lead to discipleship. Water for the thirsty, food for the hungry, clothes for the naked. We instinctively in the Christian body understand that the reason why we do the good works that we do is not just to do the good works that we do. We do them for the same reason that Christ did them. He did them to what end? To make disciples for Jesus Christ. And what has happened with the life issue in a large measure because of how politicized it's gotten is that so many Christians view the life issue primarily through the lens of politics. So if you're talking to a Christian, sometimes you say, well, are you pro-life? And they say yes. And you say prove it. They'll tell you who they voted for. Again, that's an important aspect of it. Or maybe they provided some material support, which is important. But we have to view the issue through the lens of discipleship. The goal of Christianity is to do good works to what end? to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And when you think about the issue that way, it anchors it firmly in the church as a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So one of the things that we're doing at CareNet is that we have a ministry kit called Making Life Disciples, which is designed specifically to help Christians mobilize in the church to come alongside folks who are facing pregnancy decisions because life decisions need life support. And we have all these small groups and churches that need to be mobilized to come alongside those who are facing pregnancy decisions to offer them compassion, hope, help, and discipleship in order to break the intergenerational cycle of abortion. So Christians have already been obviously been doing a lot, but really there's more that needs to be done. And I think a key to that being done is looking at the issue, not through a political lens or material support lens primarily, but looking at through the lens of discipleship, mm-hmm. which frames our political engagement and our material support that, w- that we do. And that because that's how Christ did everybody that he met a physical need. He met that need, whether it was a healing, water, water, healing, anything that he did. He met them at their physical point of need. But then he called them into a discipleship relationship because he didn't want to see the woman at the well. Right there twice. She, he didn't want return clients, if you will. And that's a key thing that we want around the life issue as well. First sponsor for the day is Eden Pure. It purifies the air in your home, making the air that you breathe healthy and clean, fresh smelling. It eliminates odors, kills mold and mildew and bacteria and and viruses. I love that I can just plug these into my wall. It doesn't take up any floor space. I don't even notice it. And I can feel good about the air we're breathing, especially if you've got pets and you want to make sure that the air that you're breathing isn't uh, full of pet smells and all the dandruff that comes with owning pets, then you should check out Eden Pure's Thunderstorm Air Purifier. This is a wildly popular product. Hundreds of thousands of these have been sold because they are so effective. I also like to travel with mine, just plug it into the wall in the hotel room. Don't leave it in an uh, Atlanta hotel room like I did, though. You'll be very sad. You can save $200 on an Eden Pure Thunderstorm 
pack for whole home protection, you'll get three units for under $200. That's a really, really good deal. EdenPureDeals.com. That's E-D-E-N PureDeals.com. Use promo code Allie at checkout to save that $200. EdenPureDeals.com. Code Allie. EdenPureDeals.com. Code Allie. Shipping is free. I just want to read some ways that Karenad is accomplishing what you're talking about. There can always uh, be more that can be done. And I absolutely agree with you. The church needs to engage more. But I do just want to applaud and thank God for so much of what Christians are doing. Since 2008, Karenat has put our mission and vision into practice and saved more than 940,000 babies from abortion. This is from the website and shared the gospel with over 2 million parents by supporting one of the largest networks of pregnancy centers in North America with 1,200 affiliates, 30,000 volunteers operating the Pregnancy Decision Line, America's only real-time call center, providing pregnancy decision coaching to parents considering abortion. Obviously, there is the material support there, but there is also the counseling. There's the, the, the discipleship. I have visited many pregnancy centers that go above and beyond even what their website lists that they do. So yes, they offer the parenting classes. They offer the education uh, resources and courses, and they provide material support and counseling and pregnancy tests and ultrasounds and all of that. But there is so much behind the scenes work that happens through the relationship and discipleship building um, that you're talking about. They build a relationship uh, with one girl who is in a, an abusive relationship. While, while they may not advertise this on their website, they're helping her find refuge. Uh, they're with someone who needs help through the illegal immigration process or the legal immigration process. They're helping her with that. They're connecting them to all different kinds of support. I mean, there is so much unseen and unsung work at these pregnancy centers. And I just encourage a lot of the Christians who are tempted to say they're just pro-birth or there's not enough work being done. Well, there could be work being done in your community right now. It could have been being done actually for the past 30 years, and maybe you just didn't know about it. So I think first, before people are tempted to complain and say, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to vote one way or the other and not really care about it, maybe plug into the networks of help that are already there in your area, because there is a lot, a lot of work being done for these women and their families. Oh, absolutely. And and a core part of what we do, again, I, I talked about the family formation standpoint. Really, that's a central part of Karenet's uh, ministry model uh, that, you know, we use the, the, the model of the birth of Christ, you know, that here's Mary facing an unplanned pregnancy from a human perspective. Right. And what did God do to make sure that Mary's unplanned pregnancy wasn't a crisis pregnancy? Well, he sent an angel to Joseph. And, and, and Joseph had a specific call to be a husband to Mary and to be a father to the child growing inside of her. So family formation is a key part of CareNet's pro-abundant life ministry model. And that's central. Why? Because we did a national survey of women who had had abortions and men who participated in abortions. And we asked the women and the men, these post-abortive women and men, who was the most influential in the, in the woman's decision to abort. And it, guess who it was? It was the guy who got her pregnant. Not her best friend or girlfriend or Planned Parenthood or anybody. The most influential was the guy that got her pregnant. So that's what I mean about getting upstream in terms of God's design for family. That's central to the life issue. And 86% of the women that have abortions are unmarried. And that's why people in the church have the ability to come alongside folks. So if that guy's running from fatherhood because he never had a father, 
Well, you maybe you've been a father for decades. Well, you mentor that guy or they're living together and their relationship is frayed. They've never seen what a godly marriage looks like. Well, you're a married couple who's been married for years. You know, will you mentor this couple? She doesn't have a place to live. Well, you got an extra room. She can't get to her prenatal visits. Well, you're retired. Will you drive her? I mean, these are all the kinds of practical ways that life decisions get the life uh, support uh, that they that they need. So really, the, the network of pregnancy centers is an amazing, amazing network. But the reality is there's only about 3,000 pregnancy centers in this country. There's over 400,000 churches. If just one percent of churches continues to do the kinds of things I'm talking about, you've got more points of compassion in the culture. So that's why I really encourage folks in the pews, go to makinglifedisciples.com, get your small group trained so that you can contact a pregnancy center who's, and so they can connect you with someone who's facing a pregnancy decision so you can walk alongside them or so that someone in your church who is facing a pregnancy decision would never look at Planned Parenthood or some other abortion provider as a compassionate alternative to the church. So there's really work that needs to be done, continues yeah. needs to be done, and that's one of the key uh, aspects of what CareNet's ProAbundant uh, ministry model is all about. So that answers my question that I was going to ask is, how would someone, a Christian who's like, you know what, I, I don't really see my church doing a whole lot when it comes to this. I think they're pro-life, but, you know, I, I don't really know if any action is being taken. So um, makinglifedisciples.com is where you would encourage people to start. MakingLifeDisciples.com. We partnered with Dr. Tony Evans. Uh, maybe uh, some of your listeners are familiar with him. We partnered with him to develop this ministry kit because what, what we realized was is that you can, even though you can't put a pregnancy center everywhere, you can put a pregnancy care ministry within churches. And also because we have a huge problem in the church with Christians having the abortion. Guttmacher's data says 54% of the folks who have abortions profess to be either Catholic or Protestant. And in our wow. national survey, we found that four out of 10 women and five out of 10 men were attending church at least monthly at the time of their first abortion. Wow. So we have an enormous challenge in the church in order, in order to make sure that folks who are Christians who profess to know Christ never feel that the church is not a compassionate alternative to the abortion clinic. And so yeah. you've got to have that ministry in the church that's there. We have so many ministries in the church for all kinds of wonderful needs, whether it's Celebrate Recovery for addiction or grief care, all those things. But the one issue that we have that is most the most time constrained in terms of a decision process, because a woman who faces a pregnancy decision has about nine days from the time that she confirms that decision till she actually schedules the abortion. And it's really gotten condensed with the abortion pill. Yeah. We don't yeah. have the most logical way. Like, it, here's one thing I always tell folks. I say, ask folks in your church, just give them an index card and ask them, say, listen, if a woman's facing a pregnancy decision and it's not good news, who should she talk to in our church? Write down who it should be. And I can tell you, they will not all write down the same person. Now, if you gave that card to a bunch of Planned Parenthood people, they'd give you 1-800 of whatever. So that's an issue that, that the mm. woman facing a pregnancy decision, even in our church, doesn't know exactly who she needs to talk to. And that's what the Making Life Disciples ministry is all about. So you have yeah. a ministry in your church to offer compassion, hope, help uh, to someone who's facing a pregnancy decision. Right. So they know exactly where to go. And I imagine it's not only because maybe these people who are considering abortion who are sitting in the pews don't see someone to connect to so it's not just necessarily the lack of action but it could be the also just the lack of 
boldness from the pulpit. I, I do find that a lot of pastors won't say abortion outright or they won't say the word abortion. They kind of dance around it like we care about life, which of course is great. But I think because, as you said, a lot of us see abortion through a political lens primarily, they think that they're, they're basically up there saying, well, you know, here I am, a representative of the Republican Party. They don't want to be divisive or anything like that. But this is a love your neighbor issue, right? And people of all kinds, they need to hear the truth about the dignity of life inside the womb. Well, absolutely. That's why I started off talking about when you're talking to someone who's pro-choice and professes to be a Christian, that you talk to them about the great commandment because it's about loving your neighbor and your neighbor is the near one. And actually in Luke, when, when Jesus gives that, that statement of these two loves, the loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, which is actually three loves, right? Then he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Right. And you, everybody kind of sort of knows that story is a vulnerable person. And, and the Levi and the priest go to the other side. In other words, they go far from the near one. And then the Samaritan steps in and meets that need. And then at the end of telling that story to the lawyer who asked him this question of who is my neighbor, then he says, which one showed mercy uh, mm. to the injured person? And he's uh, um, excuse me, which one was was a neighbor to that person? And, and then the, the lawyer says the one who showed mercy. Right. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Well, this issue is a mercy issue. It's exactly Mm -hmm. the same thing that's going on because the child growing inside the woman is a neighbor that she needs to love and everyone needs to love. The guy got her pregnant needs to love. And and the word mercy in in, in Hebrew is that word, which basically means it's the same word that you get the word compassion and mercy is the same word that means womb. And so the womb is supposed to be a place of mercy. And we as keepers of the book should understand that we're supposed to help a woman be merciful. And that's why that love that we're called to to have in that verse, basically agape love, is sacrificial love. So anyone who's a mom knows that when they carried the child inside of them, that was a sacrifice. I always think about it. The womb is a place of mercy. And every time you hear the, you feel that heartbeat as a mother and you, you put your hand on, 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 on the womb as, as the father and you feel that kick and that movement, that's the baby saying, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece, which is so key to this is that the great commission essentially says to go and make disciples and teach them to obey all that I've taught you. Well, what did Christ teach us? It all can be distilled down down into loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. So actually what you're supposed to be doing is making a disciple of the child growing inside of her. And that's why I say talking to Christians and saying, how does abortion support the great commandment? We're supposed to love our neighbor. And how does it support the great commission? We're supposed to help our our neighbor become a disciple. And, you know, as a parent, the first discipleship community is the children that God gives you. So part of the reason why pastors struggle on this issue, in my view, is because they it's being viewed through a political lens as opposed to being viewed through a ministry lens. And that's why when I talk to pastors, the first thing I always say to them is that, look, are you looking at this issue through the lens of discipleship? Are you looking at it through the lens of discipleship? Are you seeing that woman who's facing a pregnancy decision? Is your first thought, hmm, I wonder if she's a disciple of Jesus Christ. She needs to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The child growing inside of her needs to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The guy who got her pregnant needs to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. When you start preaching about this issue through the lens of discipleship and the great commandment and linking those things together, then it takes the political narrative and puts it the same place that Christ did when he was given that coin. 
right? He said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, unto God what is God's. And what did Caesar care about? Political power and material uh, uh, wealth. Well, Christ said there's a higher thing. Well, what is that higher thing? It's the law. Loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And when you do that, you will be politically engaged because you're people of justice, right? And you will be involved in material support because 1 John 3.17 says what? You cannot love love your neighbor without meeting their material needs. That's why framing it through this lens is so critically important for Christians that we view it rightly. It is a discipleship issue that needs a political engagement and material support. And it's an issue that needs to be anchored in the great commandment and needs to fulfill the great commission. Is that how you think about the life issue? And I submit to you, as your folks who are listening to this, if you're not thinking about the life issue that way, I'm just going to boldly say it, then in my view, you're not anchoring it fully in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and that's something that really needs to be done. And when you do that, it motivates you to get involved in this issue in a very, very powerful way because it's connected to your faith. Every time you help a woman who's facing a pregnancy decision, you're retelling the most amazing true story that's ever been told, which is the birth of Christ, where God used an unplanned pregnancy in Mary, to what end? That we might become disciples of Jesus Christ. It is a discipleship issue, and, and when pastors start talking about that way, it mobilizes the church to go and make disciples and see that woman facing the pregnancy decision as a mission field yeah. to be met, not yeah. just a, a, a lever to be pushed on a, on a on voting day. Yes, and it shifts people's perspective about um, providing people's material resources from, well, I'm just going to allow the government to do that, to, no, I am going to voluntarily do that. Uh, First Corinthians says that God loves a cheerful giver, yes. that we are not supposed to give under compulsion, um, but we are supposed to be giving from a willing heart. That doesn't mean that all government help is bad or should be demonized, but that doesn't count as Christian love and charity. That doesn't count as cheerful giving. We have to pay taxes or else we will be put in jail. So that's not the same thing as the charity and the love that Christians are called to. So I think that it is an important yeah. distinction when you shift, especially pastors shift away from thinking abortion is only or primarily a political issue to a material or a, a ministry issue. It reminds us of our responsibility in it too and that is a game changer well absolutely and the, and the thing that 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 works with christian charity that doesn't work with government support is that christian charity is transformative hmm. see see it's transformative whereas government support is transactional hmm. so if you're a woman who's facing a pregnancy decision and you go into you know your local government support place you got two kids that you that you're struggling to support and now you're pregnant with a third They'll give you whatever support they can give you, but they're not going to ask you how you live it. They're not going to try to transform your life. <laughs> so they're, they're not going to have that kind of conversation. Only That only happens through the transforming institution that God has designed, and the institution that communicates that is the local church. I mean, one of the things I, I did with, with pastors at, at our most recent uh, men's conference, and by the way, we're going to have another men's conference in Dallas, March 3rd and 4th, 2023. So I encourage folks to come to our website and learn, the men to come to our website and learn how to do that. But we had a pastor's conference last year at, at Dr. Evans Church, and I had a group of pastors, about nine. And I asked them, I said, how many of you became pastors because you wanted to overturn Roe v. Wade? Raise your hand. Nobody. <laughs> I said, how many became pastors because you wanted to end abortion in your lifetime? Nobody raised their hand. And again, this is a group of very committed 
pro-life pastors. And then I asked the question, how many of you became pastors because you felt called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples for Jesus Christ? Every hand in the room went up. And what that shows in that moment, and I've done this with pastors many times, that if pastors not viewing that issue primarily as a discipleship issue, it's outside the church, something we care about, but it's not inside the church as the core work of the church, because we look at water for the thirsty, food for the hungry, clothes for the naked, homes for the homeless, as on-ramps to discipleship, but compassion for the pregnant, it, it, goes, it, goes, some, wow. it goes someplace else. And so, and the other thing I always encourage folks is that even if you have pro-choice people in your church, when you start thinking about it through a ministry lens, it actually engages them. And the reason I say that, if you're pro-choice, what you're supposed to believe is that there are two choices, abortion and birth, and you don't care which choice a woman makes as long as she has the right to make it. Got it. Understand that. So you want to remove all the obstacles to abortion. Got it. Well, you also have just as much of an obligation to remove all the obstacles to birth. So now that's the Venn diagram that connects a pro-choice person in the church and a pro-life person in the church. Because if you're a pro-life person in the church, you're wanting to remove all the obstacles. And if you're a pro-choice person, on the birth side of your worldview, you should be wanting to remove all the obstacles too. That's where making life disciples fits because it gets people working together to meet those needs, to remove those obstacles there. And a pro-choice person's called to do that. Now, mm. the power of that is that as that pro-choice person begins to meet those needs, what happens to their pro-choice worldview? It starts to, the life part of that worldview, which is living, begins to grow and grow and grow. Mm -hmm. Anyone who was once pro-choice, who became pro-life, that's exactly what happened to them. So yeah. when I talk to pro-life pro-choice cho people, I don't try to convince them first to, to, to be pro-life. First thing I try to do is convince them to be pro-choice and then remind them that they have a birth part, a living part of their worldview, and what are you doing to support that? And what you'll find right. with many, many pro-choice people, they only focus on the abortion side of their worldview, yep. not the life side of their worldview. And that's where the church has the ability through a ministry model to bring that together. Yep. And ultimately, I mean, I know that this is only my audience, but I asked once, what made you go from pro-choice to pro-life? And there were a few in there that said, you know, I saw what an abortion was or someone challenged me. And those things are absolutely great and I think crucial because there are a lot of different pieces to someone's journey to becoming uh, pro-life. But I would say 98% was I became a Christian. Um, I became yep. a Christian and it didn't happen immediately, but I started going to church. I started engaging in ministry. I started reading my Bible. And eventually, as much as I wanted to hold on to that because I was a feminist or because that was just how I was raised or just a part of my persona, yes. whatever it was, it just started slipping away. I just saw that it was totally incongruent with this Jesus who I now loved. And yes. so that is discipleship. That's discipleship. <laughs> Ultimately, yes. how people's minds are changed is because the transformative work of Christ. A absolutely. And that's why, again, like a broken record, the great commandment, that's what Christ came to teach us and to do. All the acts that he did all through scripture and frankly, even from the Old Testament on, were all about showing us how to love God and how to love our neighbor as ourselves. And what you find in those three loves, what the abortion piece does, and when you start, when you're transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you realize that abortion only focuses on one of the three loves, which is loving yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Not loving God or mm-hmm. loving your neighbor, but just self-love, which is mm-hmm. idolatry of yourself. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit reveals that to you. And when you realize that, you say, my gosh, I can't have a pro-choice worldview because it's in conflict with this call that we have of the great commandment. And, and here's the thing that's really interesting about this. Even folks on the other side know this. Gavin Newsom did this whole has done this this billboard campaign. I don't know if you if you saw yes, that. Yes. He's putting billboards in 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 states that are pro-life states. And one of the things he's done on these billboards is actually use scripture to sit, to try to frame abortion as loving your neighbor. He actually has the scriptural verse on the billboard about loving your neighbor. Of course, he deletes and doesn't include the part about loving God in there. So it's just focused on loving your neighbor. In other words, right self-love in that in that context which is idolatry and you can't separate those three loves like you can't if you love god without loving your neighbor there's a rejection there if you try to love your neighbor without loving god there's a problem there and if you love yourself without loving your neighbor and loving god there's a problem there all of those three things they're like the trinity the father son and the holy spirit they work together in unity to have transformed power the transforming power of the holy spirit uses those things in unity to transform your mind to transform communities to transform the church so again that's why it's central when you're talking to people who are pro choice and profess to be christians focus them on the great commandment focus them on the great commission let the Holy Spirit work with them as they wrestle with those kinds of things. And then I just believe the power of the Holy Spirit transforms lives. And that's what you've seen in terms of the example that you gave. Okay, I'm excited to tell you about the sponsor of my show. And it is live action. We talk about the evils of abortion a lot on Relatable and the things that we can do to try to serve families and their babies. And Live Action is one of the most effective and just one of the most amazing organizations in this fight. You guys know Lila Rose, who is the head of Live Action. She is such a champion for life. And I just have so much respect for her and everything they do. And they have an amazing thing going on right now. When you donate to Live Action, your gift will be matched. So that doubles your impact to save lives, but only if you give right now. Live Action is educating people about the reality of abortion, what abortion procedures do. They are helping helping support the causes and uh, the individuals that are rescuing babies and that are serving their mothers who are pregnant. Uh, They are motivating and educating legislators who are passing pro-life laws. And so they are doing so much to fight for the unborn and their families. They're trying to end abortion in America. So join them by donating. Your donation will be matched. Go to liveaction.org slash Allie, liveaction.org slash Allie. Even if you can only donate $5, that still makes a difference. Go to liveaction.org slash Allie, liveaction.org slash Allie. You know, when you were talking about mercy, I love how you made that point. I hadn't heard it told it or explained it that way before, but I remember a couple months ago, Anne Hathaway, the actress, she was on uh she was on the view yes. and she said the exact opposite of what you said, which I can only think of Satan, you know, disguising himself as an angel of light when she said abortion is an act of mercy. But it's the exact opposite, which again goes back to the point that you keep making so well, is that really 
it has to be about heart transformation because when you believe the opposite of what is true, that brutally killing a defenseless child could be merciful, you know that that's not primarily political. She's not thinking politics. That's not her problem. Her problem isn't primarily her politics, although I'm sure her politics are bad too. Her problem is that she is deceived in her mind and her heart. There is a spiritual rot that is going on there. Oh, absolutely. I read the same thing. And it's just such an amazing, you know, the blindness that that you have there. And that's why we know that the power comes from the transform of the Holy Spirit. It's exactly that point. And, and I read when I heard her uh, her say that and when I read that she said that that was the thing that came came to mind. Isn't God amazing that the word compassion and mercy in the in Hebrew is the same is the same word for womb. It's the same root for womb. It's that family. It's the most look. And here's the thing, which is which is so amazing for whether you're Anne Hathaway or whoever you are. Right. The most vulnerable place that anybody is has ever been in their life is in the womb. That's the great equalizer for all humanity. I don't care how powerful you you become rich, muscular. It doesn't matter. We all shared a vulnerability in the womb and we all depended upon the mercy of someone in the womb. And that's why I thought it was so powerful that 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 Jesus's question at, when he asked that the 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 lawyer there who was the neighbor and the lawyer responded the one who was merciful. <laughs> the one who was merciful. In other words, anchoring it all the way back to the d- discussion of the womb. So, it's an absolute blindness and deception. God has integrated all yeah. of this into scripture and it's the nature of what that we have as christians to come to do that so what's going to transform her life is really the power of the gospel of jesus christ that's central to the life issue not the political engagement and material support central to all of this is the transforming power of the gospel of jesus christ which is what we really need to be communicating in the public square yeah Last question, and I know, you know, we could go another hour just talking about this, I'm sure, but I just kind of quickly want to hear how you became pro-life, how long you've been passionate about this, and how you got started in the position that you're in now. Yeah, very interesting question. (laughs) Well, um, I'll say it this way. Um, I didn't even know that I had this perspective. When I early in my life, but I was faced with the decision early in my life. When I was mm-hmm. a 20 year old college student, I went to Princeton undergrad. I got my girlfriend pregnant. Uh, she was 19. I was 20. I was a junior. She was a sophomore. And when she went to student health services uh, at Princeton, um, uh, the nurse did the pregnancy test and kind of came out and without taking an extra gulp of air said, now, of course, you're going to have an abortion. And mm-hmm. uh, and she said to, uh, to my girlfriend, my wife of 40 plus years, well, uh, you know, what year are you? And she says, well, I'm a sophomore. Well, of course, you're going to have an abortion. And, and, and she says, no, I don't want to have an abortion. I, I want to get married. I want to have my baby. I want to have a baby. And the nurse says, well, what do you want to do when you graduate? I mean, how are you going to graduate from Princeton with a baby? A, but what do you want to do when you graduate? She says, I want to become a doctor. And she's like, oh, my gosh, how are you going to become a doctor with a baby? It doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. You, you, this, uh, the abortion decision seems to be the, the better uh, choice. Now, here's wow. the thing. She didn't, ask, she didn't ask her, you know, um, who, who got you pregnant? <laughs> Who's the guy? Where's the guy? Maybe he can come to support your choice and his child or any of that. She was an older woman herself that could have provided some support. But the abortion decision was on the table there. And so she came back uh, to the dorm room. And, and uh, I imagine we were sitting on the edge of the bed, which is obviously where we should have spent all our time. <laughs> so. 
And, and she, she, uh, she told me that. And in my 20 year old way, I said, you know, we're going to move forward and I'm going to be a husband to you and a father to the child growing inside of you. And, and we got married and she graduated from Princeton, became a doctor, has been practicing medicine for 30 years. The kid they wanted us to throw in a trash can, uh, went to Harvard, smarter than both of us. (laughs) So not because he went to Harvard, but just because he's smarter than both of us. So I saw that story played out in my own life. And I hadn't connected it to the life issue or any of that. And, and honestly, for many, many years, you know, we, we were Christians at the time that we were, we got pregnant, you know, was one of those things that we weren't proud of. And we didn't really tell our story in the public square, but I saw firsthand God, what I'm talking about, God's design for family and God's call to discipleship. The reason why my wife was less likely to have an abortion, why? Because she had a guy who said, I'll be a husband to you and a father to the child growing inside of you. In other words, by the grace of God, he tapped into my inner Joseph and called me to come alongside her, to be a husband to her and a father to the child growing inside of her so that our unplanned pregnancy would not be a crisis pregnancy. And then by the grace of God, he called us into a discipleship relationship with him. In other words, to apply the discipleship, being disciples who make disciples to frame all of that. So in one generation, and I come from a single mother, I'm all the statistics, single mother home. My mother got pregnant when she was uh, 16, 17, first time. Father was gone by the, by the time she was in her 20s, four kids under the age of eight as a single. I have all the stats that you would see. But I saw in one generation, by God's design for family and God's call to discipleship, breaking that cycle just like that. Mm-hmm. So both my boys, both married. I got grandkids. None of them got kids mm-hmm. out of wedlock, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Right. One generation. So I, you know, I, I've lived the story. I've mm. lived it. So when I, even though I went to the business world first and that was what I was doing and God called me to do this, that story of his plan and his design. And that's why when, when I was reading through Matthew and, and looked at the story in the first chapter, the first book of the new Testament, the birth of Christ, he downloaded into my brain and said, that was what I called you to do. That's what you need to be calling other men to do. That's what you want. You want God's design for family. So we need to be engaging men as much as possible to help them step into the transformational institution of, of husbandhood and fatherhood. And we need to be tapping into those those women and kind of inspire them to tap into their inner Mary, that despite the unplanned pregnancy that they're facing, what they want to do is, is like Mary, say, let it be on to me, as you have said. But that, then we need more than that. We need them to be connected to the church so that they can be disciples who make disciples first of their children and then in the broader community. That's how you break the cycle on the abortion issue. That's the role of, of CARED at this ministry model in terms of what we do. And I'm delighted to be a part of it. And we framed all of what I just said to you as being not just pro-life, but pro-abundant life based on John 10, 10, where Christ came that you might have life and have it abundantly from conception to natural death, have a pro-abundant life perspective. And so that's what we do. And that's why I do it. Yes, and amen. Well, that was excellent. Thank you so, so much for sharing your story and also a little bit of pro-life apologetics, but more than anything, bringing it back to the gospel. I just appreciate you and your ministry so much, and may God continue to multiply the ministry and save lives as he changes hearts. So thank you. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Same to you. Merry Christmas.